Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 126th video cast, 116th podcast for the week ending March 17th, 2022. What an exciting week. We've got a lot of great stuff to cover, but first and foremost, we'll quickly go through the media. Want to thank Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett for having me on Fox Business yesterday. We'll go through some uh, new picks from that segment. Uh, and that's Liz Clayman with her two thumbs up. Always love to see. It's like the comedians that used to go on Johnny Carson, and they knew they uh, crushed it when Johnny Carson would invite them over to the couch for interviews. So uh, the two thumbs up, I'll take it. Uh, next, we were on with Rochelle Akufo on Yahoo Finance. Want to thank Rochelle and Taylor Clothier for having me on. That was all about China and Alibaba. They called me in the morning. I said, sure, I'd come on at 4, 4.20, and that was a great segment. Then I, want, I had a 20-minute uh, podcast uh, on Harvest, which is kind of at HVST.com. It's like an institutional platform for a bunch of uh, institutional research. So I got a, a, a chance to go on with Justin Jarman and Samantha Butensky. I want to thank both of them for having me on. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on that. So if you have time, you can go to the website and listen there. Um, and to find any of these, by the way, you just scroll down on the website right here under categories, click on featured on and they all come up. And then moving right along, um, this one was really interesting. I did a uh, podcast with uh, the pitch board and want to thank Andrew Hepburn uh, for the as the interviewer and Jennifer Merchant for having me on. Uh, this was a 45 minute interview and Andrew really did an amazing job drilling down, getting under the surface, uh, uncovering you know how we think about investments, how we adjust as the data change, uh, how we change our minds. And we went through some, some case studies uh, and, and I think um, people are gonna find that extremely exciting. I've already received a few emails on that. Uh, people were blown away. So that was the longest interview I've ever done and, uh, and it was really great. So uh, kudos to Andrew Hepburn on that one. And then I uh, want to thank uh, Chibuke Ogu for including me in his article on Reuters today. And this was about the Fed. I said the big surprise yesterday was the dot plot, uh, referring to the Fed's interest rate projections. It was a dovish hike, but a hawkish rhetoric and outlook. We believe that if they go anywhere near their projections, they'd invert the yield curve and cause a guaranteed recession. And we, we had a relief rally yesterday, and the market is digesting that today, consolidating a little bit and trying to get comfort with the reality versus expectations in terms of what the Fed is projecting. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. They're not going to be able to raise anywhere near what they're projecting, but that's a smart jawboning tactic until they start to roll off the balance sheet. Um, okay, this was last week. A couple uh, things. Also, Chibuke Ogu, thank you. Uh, and I said, everything seems to be headed towards an acute point where we should have some headway. The fact is neither side has a complete advantage and as a result, talks are the most sensible outcome with some type of resolution. And the point I was making to Jabuke is, look, if Russia had an edge, I mean, certainly they have the nuke, so they, they're always going to have some edge. But um, if they felt like they were making headway, they wouldn't be talking, they'd just be taking. And, uh, and that's not been the case, which is a good thing. Uh, and hopefully we'll get some negotiated settlement. Uh, and then it was another quote, the Fed is expected to raise 25 basis points, which is what happened. So uh, also that day, I uh, want to thank Devik Jain and Sabatajan Contractor for including me. 
And I said, what we should be focused on is that the talks are going to continue between Russia and the Ukraine. That's a positive, said Tom Hayes. So uh, thanks to those guys. Now, a few quotes to just set up context for today's uh, podcast video cast. Uh, Seth Klarman, the single greatest edge an investor can have is a long-term orientation. And I couldn't agree more. You know, people sometimes say, well, what, what's your hedge? My hedge is time. Uh, when I understand what's going on in an underlying business and I can buy it with a large enough margin of safety, uh, hopefully with some imminent catalysts, uh, but even so, uh, my, my hedge is, is staying power. I never over leverage where any one position can take me out on a stretcher. And I know that uh, long-term businesses, high-quality businesses, they trade in ranges. They, they, shoot, they overshoot on the upside in terms of multiple expansion. They overshoot on the downside in terms of de despondency and euphoria. And, uh, you know, I buy somewhere uh, near despondency and complete depression, and I sell somewhere near uh, euphoria and panic buying, and, uh, and I rinse and repeat. And we're going to go through some, some good questions on that today. I liked uh, Ray Dalio's quote, in order to be successful, you're betting against the consensus and you have to be right. And I think that ties in very well with what Seth Klarman says. You know, most people think right is, is 90 days. And, uh, you know, it's beautiful when, when a trade works out in 90 days or six months. But the biggest money makers take a lot longer. You know, you've got to give them breathing room. They, like I've been saying, they don't give away multi-baggers for free. Uh, you know, you don't get you don't hook the big marlins uh, by mistake. They're going to fight underwater until you can pull them out. And sometimes it takes a little longer than expected. But once you get them, you get to hang those suckers on the wall and look at them for the rest of your life. So uh, and by the way, Gray's, if you ever done taxidermy, what what an unbelievable business. I mean, you know, they, they take your, you know, a few hundred dollar deposits for fish. And then they sent me like seven thousand dollars of bills to uh, to send all the fish up. And of course, you have to do it, uh, you know, so if they ever want to go public, I, I would definitely be an investor in that business. It's a monopoly. It's uh, they, they got you by the you know what. And, uh, you know, they, they pulled that on me in Mexico, Cabo, uh, you know, 15 years ago. And I went for it. They, you know, you just got to do it. And uh, God bless them. Um, uh, th final quote uh, from Ray Dalio. The average man tends to buy high and sell low. I think the second part of this is the average man does not think that they tend to buy high and sell low. But uh, if, if you look at the results, that's exactly what, what they do on average. Um, and uh, finally, from Ray Dalio, to make money in the markets, you have to think independently and be humble. You always have to know that there can always be things that you don't know that you don't know. Um, and that's why you have to assume that any position you put on uh, could go to zero, and, and would you live another day? And the, the secret in this business is they never take you out in a stretcher, uh, and uh, that's how we've, we've thought about everything. And, um, uh, you know, that, that right there is, is the key to, to the business. And um, so I want to cover a bunch of uh, questions. We got a bunch this week, and I'm going to cover the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, we're not going to pull punches here. Uh, so first off, a Bill C sent last Thursday, <coughs> probably while we were recording. Hi, Tom. What do you think will happen to the U.S. Chinese companies and ADRs that are not currently dual listed in Hong Kong? I know you said you converted your Baba shares into Hong Kong shares, but it seems to me that U.S. only China ADRs without a Hong Kong counterpart are in a tough situation now under the uh, Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. Even if the company wanted the shares... 
to share their financials with the SEC auditors. Chinese law currently prohibits. Is that correct? Um, They're working on this. We're going to cover that, actually. So they're working on a resolution to this. Um, Most of the ones that don't have ADRs are working on getting Hong Kong shares. So you do have the fungibility. But um, yeah, if you don't, if you're in Chinese stocks that don't have a Hong Kong ADR, you're probably in a very low quality company. So you have to be a little careful. But I do think this is going to get resolved even for some of these lower quality businesses. Okay, this one is uh, beautiful. So Rich C sent me on Monday at 2 p.m. Presume you saw that J.P. Morgan dropped Baba's price target to $65 below its IPO price. What an unmitigated disaster. So um, I think Rich also, okay, so this was a great, this was the best uh, ask me anything question. I, oh, I guess this wasn't a question. This was just a comment. Um, I immediately took action. This was like the beautiful catalyst because I know that when emotions get this high, people are capitulating. Nothing that happened on Monday in the markets was an unmitigated disaster. Um, Because I think in terms of what happened to Alibaba's business on Monday, my guess is that Alibaba's sales on Monday of this week and profits were higher than they were one year ago on the same Monday and two years ago on the same Monday and three years ago on the same Monday and four years ago on the same Monday. So there was nothing about Monday in my world that was an unmitigated disaster. Now, scarcity mindset and looking at the stock price and worrying about emotions and getting caught up in the frenzy of it is natural when you're a newbie in the business. And so if that's the, the place that you were in on Monday, uh, that's natural. It just means you're not comfortable with what you own. You haven't done enough research. Um, and that's okay because everyone goes through that process in the beginning. The only thing that could possibly make Monday a disaster is if you were one of the weak hands that was puking out your stock in fear while I was buying more. And what I did literally within an hour after I received this email, because it, it, it triggered something in me from couple decades of experience that I I know when there's just panic in the market. And I said, if I don't buy more here, and you you all know, I've got plenty of Alibaba stock, okay? Uh, There's no two ways about it. And we've brought brought our basis down a ton uh, in recent months uh, by just adding more, similar to the range resources story, which I go through in both of the podcasts. But I said, I, I can't not participate at this level of fear. I just, when everyone's just puking like this and everyone's crying and nervous, um, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. So uh, what we did for every $10 million of accounts, we bought um, the December 105 calls. And the reason we bought December is because remember the China National Congress is in November. So in the 12 months leading up to it, on average, the MSCI China is up 31%. We bought the 105s. The stock was, I don't know, 75 or 77 on Monday and Tuesday. Um, and uh, we paid $8.42. So for, for each $10 million, we bought 100 contracts, which was only $84,000, uh, $84,200. And we control at 100 contracts, 10,000 more shares. So for... Uh, $84,000, we got another 
million dollars, one million and fifty thousand dollars worth of stock at a hundred and five dollars when it was in the toilet and I was getting emails like this uh, when it was seventy five dollars or seventy seven dollars. So basically, um, we'll have to get Rich C's mailing address because each one of my clients uh, that you know that has ten million dollars. 12 months from now is gonna make an extra million dollars that they wouldn't have made because of Rich's email. So we'll be sure to send the, uh, the, um, the golden pears as they do, the uh, whatever they send on Christmas and the holidays. But, um, and, and I'm not picking on Rich Z because it's natural to be scared when you don't do the work and when, you, when you're new in the business and you think and you trade on price. You know the price of everything and the value of nothing. What we're trying to help people understand with this podcast videocast is how to understand the value of something so you're not shaken out when you're in one of the highest quality businesses in the world that's trading at one of the lowest multiples because of exogenous events. Uh, next, Mark Rittinger. Um, what will it take for you to change your mind on the China Tech thesis? This was, I think, the same exact day uh, that, that he sent it when it was flushing out. So, so maybe why I took an hour is because I got two of these emails. Your Baba position must be tremendously underwater by now. Um, well, it's got, gotten a lot less because of Rich's email. And uh, uh, we, we have brought our bases down quite a bit uh, across the board, 130s, etc. And... Um, so I answered this question last week. The only thing that would change my mind on the thesis would be accounting fraud. And I explained why I, I believe that was effectively, you know, infinitesimal possibility. It's a possibility with any company in the world. But, you know, Alibaba, if that were to happen, it would close the capital markets to China forever. Uh, no one would ever put another penny there. So plus they have PwC, et cetera. So, uh, you know, decent question. Again, fear based. Uh, ben, first name only, with regards to your steamroller analogy in the podcast, as well as uh, my angle has always been in uh, possible shorts, not longs. That makes a lot more sense. So uh, I appreciate that. I did cover in the podcast, though, I'm not eager to be shorting here, even though I do think the trap door is going to be empty. And we started to see signs of that in the past week. Um, and I wouldn't. So what he's saying is, uh, he wants to short XOP on an, on an Iran deal. Um, I, I, I wouldn't play that because I think the secular thesis for, uh, well, three to five year cyclical uh, thesis is going to be intact for energy. So on a trapdoor thing, I'd be more inclined to wait for a collapse and then load for the long term than try to pick the short. Because if you get some type of like uh, extended circumstance in, in Russia, Ukraine or something, you know, you can get your face ripped off. Uh, you could buy puts if you want, but the implied volatility is too high. So it's just not the ideal setup. It's not a, not a good asymmetry. Uh, Rich C, again, uh, Tom, really like your investing style. Uh, it aligns with my 36 years observing the investment management business, most of whom are followers, not you. Question. China ADRs are getting destroyed by SEC threats for delisting. In the past, you have poo-pooed this exogenous factor. Like it or not, this is real based on today's actions. No, there's nothing different about what happened in the market and what I said before. The difference is the price changed and you got scared and you let your emotions take, take, take you out, just like all the retail. Because look, there were no institutions puking stock 
on that basis. This was all weak hands, and and all of these all of these assets got transferred to strong hands over, over the past week. Institutions know that shares are fungible, and they could just swap out to, to Hong Kong. Um, so so this was weak hands getting getting pushed out, and this was a sell the rumor by the news event that we covered it in last week's podcast. And sure enough, that's exactly what it turned out to be. And we'll talk about some some reasons why. Uh, Quote, unquote, it's a huge albatross around Baba's neck. I am good trading on fundamentals and technicals, but this doesn't work. And a huge regulatory overhang. So don't do it. I mean, what? it's a free country. You don't have to own Alibaba. There are hundreds of other stocks that are great. I was looking at three industrials today uh, with with my junior analysts. So, uh, you know, it's free country. At least this one is. Uh, can, can you bring an attorney with creds on the program to give a reality check? Otherwise, I find these China ADRs uninvestable. Okay, well, don't invest in them. We don't need an attorney to tell you you shouldn't be investing. You probably shouldn't be investing in a lot of things if you have that level of emotionality and an unwillingness to do your own work and be burdened by the facts. Now, again, this is not criticizing Rich C. Otherwise, I would say his whole name, which I can see in his email address. This is really valuable that he sent that because I think there were a lot of people in that same boat that got shaken out. And you only have to have that happen to you once uh, to never let it happen to you again. Number one, you'll never go into a position without doing your own work. And number two, once you've done your own work, you'll never let them shake you out because that's the way multi-baggers work. They got to take out the weak hands. They've got to punish you. They've got to white knuckle you when you're buying that last 100 contracts that's going to control uh, uh, 10,000 shares at $105 for your clients because you see panic is seething in the market. Um, that's just, you got to live through it and you got to have experience. And that's why, you know, they don't write books about the people who got blown out. They write books who, about people who go through these experiences, learn from them, and come back bigger stronger and better and that's what i hope for all of you um okay uh, okay rich c again uh listen to the podcast on alibaba share i must admit i'm confused you implied that the event of delisting that bobby shares would swap to the hong kong market will that happen automatically that doesn't seem likely would an investor need to sell their alibaba shares and uh rebuy in hong kong um Look, we said months ago to transfer to Hong Kong. There's no downside to doing it. It's a few hundred bucks, depending on how many shares you have. It's probably less than that in your case. And then uh, you could always swap back after this thing's resolved. It looks like it's going to get resolved imminently now with some developments this week. But uh, what's the downside? So I don't know why, why you'd wait till the end when there's zero liquidity and everyone's panicking to do the same thing. Why not just get it done? I mean, be proactive in life. Um, but uh, it probably answers the same question for a lot of people. Okay, Tyler Woolridge. Uh, Hi, Tom. Firstly, been listening to you for about a year now, and you're consistently great. Wow, (laughs) a nice comment this week. I'm so happy. Your podcast is easy to listen to and digest, and it's turned into somewhat of an end-of-week treat and tradition for me. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and opinion, not financial advice. My question, have you heard of Alibaba? (laughs) Joking. That's funny. Um, my real question, what are your thoughts on the British clothing brand Boohoo, ticker B-O-O? I have an entire thesis based on DCF, European warehouse expansion, etc., for why I think it might be a good long-term buy. 
Um, okay. So I did a quick look at this uh, for the call. It's a British company. We are starting to look at European stocks. Um, I didn't expect that I was going to uh, find anything here, but it's kind of interesting. They are dramatically growing revenue. Um, the price has collapsed. Re the business is growing. The gross margin is staying firm. Um, net margin is anemic like most clothing retailers. Return on equity is strong. It's declined a little bit through COVID. Um, but it has promise. So I think that, you know, it's at the low end of its multiple range. Um, I'd have to get a better understanding of the business, return on invested capital. I mean, uh, you know, you put a gun to my head right now, I'd buy some shares. Uh, but I, I've got to do more work. So what you ought to do is send over your DCF and uh, uh, analysis. And I'll have um, a junior analyst take a look. And if there's something there, we'll come back with more information next week. But I think generally... Your thought process is right here, and um, uh, good job. Second question, a little different. I'm a research scientist, PhD, and, but I've discovered my passion for investing. Currently studying for a financial qualification to build my knowledge CV. What's the likelihood of someone like me getting accepted to private equity hedge fund-related roles? I think they're strong. I think, uh, you know, if you're mid-career, you, you need to get the CFA if you want to do that. Uh, that will say, okay, he knows something. We can teach him and... Um, uh, you know, that's that. And number two, uh, keep a personal, uh, 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 personal account going with your investments, because the name of the game is even if you've only got, you know, 10,000 or $50,000 or whatever, uh, if you can show over the next couple of years while you're getting your CFA that, you know, you can get reasonable returns and you're a thoughtful, thoughtful thinker and you learn from your mistakes, that's also going to probably be as valuable, if not more valuable than what you pick up in the CFA and the other things that I've talked about, all the Buffett letters, um, uh, intelligent investor, read a uh, value line company every day, uh, et cetera. Uh, be healthy, Ben, first name, Tom, if, uh, okay, this is a good question. Ben asked, Tom, if you have a minute, do the biotech earnings revisions you published today help or hurt your biotech thesis? So, um, Carter put up the, uh, IBB earnings revisions, uh, and they came down. Uh, the, and the answer is no, they don't hurt our thesis. So they came down, uh, 9.14%. Uh, for 2022 and for 2023, they came down 6.74%. Um, and, and you have to expect when, so when we started the thesis, they were down like a half of 40 basis points. <clears throat> when, when the, and, and the ETF was down like 40%. So it was like earnings are flat and the ETF is down 40%. Well, part of it was interest rate fears. Part of it was obviously people knew estimates were coming down, but the price has come down 40%. The earnings power has come down six to 9%. Uh, so there's still a huge, huge upside opportunity in our view. After you collapse 40%, you got to recover 75, 80% to get back to par. So there, there's still huge, it doesn't affect it. If earnings have come down 40%, I might change my mind and say, oh, they're fairly valued here. Okay, let's just get out at flat. But uh, that's not the case. And number two, um, the other part of the thesis is going to be 
uh, M&A. That, that cycle is going to pick up huge uh, very quickly. We've talked about the cash on the balance sheets. We've talked about the patent cliffs and uh, the need for growth innovation and uh, et cetera. So no, it doesn't. Great question and, and good catch. Um, okay, John Weller. I searched on how to chart a yield curve inverse and have not found it. Uh, is the yield curve inversion chartable and free? And can you share more details? Love what you teach us and many thanks to you all, John in West Michigan. So John, uh, I think there's a free version of stock charts. By the way, just wanna, uh, before I mess this one up, um, this is the National Association of Active Investment Managers equity exposure. It went up to 46%, so still hugely underweight. They're gonna have to chase up. Just wanted to give you the update because they publish on Thursday and the article publishes on Wednesday night. Uh, you can go to stockcharts.com and use their free version and just type in this ticker, um, dollar sign YC2YR, dollar sign YC2YR. That'll give you the two-year yield to the 10-year yield spread. And you just want to make sure it's above zero. Okay, so it, it bottomed at uh, 23 basis points before the meeting. It closed at 24 basis points today. So it's actually re-steepening after the meeting uh anemically but it's it's still moving in the right direction so that's that's a good thing we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more uh ben first name only what's the latest on the iran deal and your latest thoughts on oil your thursday morning sentiment article strongly infers that investors will likely switch from oil and commodities to technology how soon and how massive uh it not not only implies that i mean that's been our underlying uh base case for the last couple of weeks uh we mentioned it on the claim and countdown uh, yesterday, a few tech ideas. Uh, we do think that with all the euphoria around energy, the trapdoor will open sometime in the next, you know, you get a negotiated settlement, Russia, Ukraine, then you get the Iran deal, then you realize the rig count is going through the roof, uh, and uh, you're, you're going to see uh, uh, the Johnny Come Latelys uh, fall through the trapdoor very, very quickly. And that's when we'll potentially take a look at reloading, depending how severe the carnage is. So, uh, Good question on that. Oh, latest. So as for the oil thing, uh, the Iran deal, here's the latest. It fell apart last week. And then today, as Ukraine war rages, dip diplomats near Iran nuclear agreement. So they're, you know, they're back on. They've got to get it done. I mean, it's an election year. Inflation's high. It has nothing, very little. I mean, the Fed plays a role, but there are other impacts that they're trying to do. And they're going to get this done. And they're going to give away the kitchen sink, unfortunately and unnecessarily. But uh you know, it's, it's the wrong way to do it, but that's how they're going to do it. So it is what it is. Um, Tyler Wool, Wooldridge, uh, Tom. Oh, okay. That was the one about, uh, have you heard of Alibaba? I love that one. Okay. All right. From JT Investor, Tom, your work and discipline on Baba is remarkable, especially after this week. I nearly lost faith when JP Morgan lowered his price target from $180 to $65, which was difficult to process mentally when thinking about basic enterprise value on the business. And you have called out the easiest path to mitigate the delisting rich with, uh, risk with Hong Kong uh, 9988. I also noticed Kevin O'Leary bought the dip and took a shot at the analyst price target change. Uh, he already had some, by the way, minor detail, but, uh, but he's smart enough to average down in the hole, no question. Recognizing that Baba is only one part of K-Web, uh, what are your thoughts to adding to an existing K-Web position at this time? Also, 
Are you thinking of starting a position in EU equities sans Russia or Brazil at this time? If so, what ETFs would you recommend we check out? Have a great weekend and keep up the great work. You're going to be a legend when Baba hits $250. Okay, well, let me keep some humility here. We're just, we're just coming out of the hole. We don't count our chickens before they hatch, but uh, I know it, you know, I have high level of confidence that it will revert back to its intrinsic value. It's a question of the timeline. Uh, I'd prefer sooner, uh, and, I, and I think it might be sooner than, than a lot of people expect. Uh, but leaving that aside, uh, thanks for the kind words, by the way, number one. Um, number two, oh, I want to say this, and I mentioned it in the article of the week. The same analyst who will remain unnamed, he had a $321 price target on this stock uh, in April of 2021. Uh, so after it came off the highs in February from 315 down, he said, uh, no, 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 this is a great business. Don't worry about the, the, the regulatory. Uh, it's going to go up. And I think it represented like a 36% appreciation at the time. You can Google it. Uh, and then January 7th, 6th or 7th, after Alibaba bounced, you remember in December, it got down to $100. It bounced up $30. Right after that $30 move, this analyst put an overweight on the stock and then Two months later, he's telling you he takes his price target from 180 to 65. So this guy has zero credibility, number one. Number two, it's evidence of what I say all the time, opinion follows trend. And uh, if anything, the same thing happened with, uh, with um, range resources. I remember these analysts taking the thing down. Uh, it was this one kid from Morgan Stanley and now it's a ten. It, now it's a seven bagger, six seven bagger, and it's going to be a ten bagger in the next year, two years. So, um, uh, you know, I, I understand the headlines, I understand the fear, but uh, anyone that got taken out of this stock, uh, just think about the the number one thing you want to think about when you're puking out stock is who's on the other side of your trade. It was people like me. And, uh, and like Charlie Munger, potentially, although he's already levered long <laughs> to, on margin debt uh, as of uh, fourth quarter of last year. And uh, by the way, his basis is probably around $165 if you account for all of his purchases, and he's going to make a fortune on this thing over, over time. So, um, uh, so KWeb, yes, I would. EU, we're looking aggressively. We have some modest exposure um, but yeah, based on the stuff, I mean, you know, the Brazil ETF is EWZ. Actually, it's done quite well this year. Um, you know, we have some token positions in, in Brazil, uh, Stoneco, et cetera, but, um, we haven't leaned in yet. And part of the reason we haven't leaned in is, uh, you know, we have two huge contrarian bets now that they're starting to work with biotech and, and with Baba, we'll probably start to lean into some more contrarian bets. But for now, we just wanted to make sure that we got that last piece of action this week, uh, which, which we were able to and uh, really lucky about that. So uh, thanks so much for the kind words, JT. Moving right along. Um, okay. JP Morgan's quant guru is sticking to his bullish outlook for stocks and says the economy will avoid falling, falling into a recession. This is from my, my boy, Marco Kalanovic. I love this guy. Um, and he actually shifted gears because if you remember, he'd been bullish, but he's, he'd been saying only cyclicals, only cyclicals. Now he says, 
Uh, China's front-loaded stimulus, reopening, and relative insulation from the current geopolitical flashpoints mean the country should receive an overweight from investors. The MSCI China ETF is down 27% year-to-date. So this is, uh, this is nice to see. Smart guy. Uh, and we couldn't agree more. Uh, that thing that I just clicked out of that I won't be able to get back talked about record stock buybacks. I think it was about a quarter of a trillion already in the first few months of this year. 1.23 trillion authorized. People are totally underestimating the impact that this is going to have. Think about all the money that uh, companies borrowed uh, and built up their, their cash balances on the balance sheet at virtually no cost for the last two years since the Fed backstopped the market. That's now all going into stock buybacks on the pullback, and you're going to see that. And that's one of the reasons we've been saying for the last few weeks, the risk of this market is, the, is to the upside, not to the downside. In the interim, we got you know, a, a war, uh, and still we've held the February 24th lows. So what, what else do you need to talk about? Um, okay, tomorrow Biden and Z are going to discuss Ukraine in a Friday call. Uh, that's a positive thing. Um, you know, dialogue is always positive. It means that, you know, Biden's going to say, look, you don't want to be sanctioned like these guys. We don't want to sanction you. We do a lot of business together, but knock it off. You need to press them. You have the only influence over them. Press them to get a negotiated settlement. They'll get something. They can go home and do their war in the Kremlin. You know, uh, they can go home and do their parade and pretend that they won, even though they got smoked and, uh, Ukraine will live happily ever after. So, uh, hopefully that, that's uh, positive. I think the market is also anticipating something along those lines. Now, what happened this week? Well, um, we had anticipated uh, for some time that eventually they'd blink because what they were doing was not in their interest. He held out longer than I thought he would, but um, you know, eventually he, he had to curve. He had to, to uh, uh, crater because uh, whether you're in China or um, Chandigarh, India, or in the United States. A politician's number one job is to get reelected, and that's universal. And, uh, and here's what we're seeing. Uh, Wall Street Journal, the rollback of Xi Jinping's economic campaign exposes cracks in his power. In addition to pressure from the West on Beijing over uh, Xi's Russia intent, he is struggling with a severe slowdown in the economy. The new disquiet raises questions about his unassailed dominance. So he's got the transition meeting. His economy is in shambles. You know, you saw the numbers in Q4. Uh, they jacked up uh, the stimulus. And by the way, I want to say something about that. So they jacked up the stimulus in October and November. And I always say it takes six months on a lag basis to kick in. We saw some numbers this week with retail sales and industrial production in China that blew the doors off. No one was expecting that. They've got still shutdowns going on from COVID zero and they crushed it. Now, um, because of the lagged effect, just like they overshot with the regulatory crackdown and they didn't realize how much of an impact that was going to have the economy, they're going to overshoot with the stimulus. So it's not happening fast enough. And he's panicking because he started the stimulus four or five months ago and the economy hasn't turned around overnight. So now they come out this week and they say, we're going to do as much stimulus as it takes. So much so we're going to help insurance companies directly buy stocks. We're going to help uh, companies buy their own stocks back 
we're going to be buying stocks. I mean, they are, they're throwing the kitchen sink at this now because they realize they took it too far. And they're going to take the stimulus too far. Wait till you see inflation in China 24 months from now uh, and the stock after the stock market's up huge. So um, uh, anyway, I, I just love overshoots. You know, it's just kind of, you know, everyone has their thing. But uh, uh, that, that's mine. So uh, looking forward to it. So this is from China, China last night. This is the guy who runs the K-Web uh, China Internet ETF, which uh, to answer your question, you asked about the K-Web ETF. Yes, you could, because he's already converted like 70 or 80% to Hong Kong ADRs. So it's a way to buy a US ticker with Hong Kong exposure so you don't have to convert it yourself. It's in the, you know, they're going to trade similarly. I think Alibaba will outperform it over time. But um, he has all the heavyweights. Uh, it's more diversified. And yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. And this guy is proactive <coughs> in uh, doing the switchovers. So, um, okay. China's government behind President Xi and Premier Li gave a speech at the State Council's Financial Stability and Development Committee as reported by mainland media source Xinhua below are quotes uh, and my interpretation. So, quote, concrete actions must be taken to bolster the economy in the first quarter noting that monetary policy should take the initiative. They're gonna increase money supply. That's good for stocks. Uh, stimulus and supportive policies coming. Chinese and US regulatory bodies have maintained good communication and made progress. The two sides are working on a concrete cooperation plan. Solving the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act and US ADR delisting, the CSRC, China's SEC put out a release already that they will quote, continue to strengthen the communication with US regulatory agencies and strive to reach an agreement on China-US audit supervision as soon as possible. Uh, next quote, support various enterprises to seek listings on the overseas market. Uh, that means US and Hong Kong IPOs are allowed. Next, for real estate enterprises, it is necessary to timely study and suggest effective risk prevention and mitigation solutions and put forward supporting measures for the transformation to a new development approach, which means turn on the credit spigots again and do the same thing all over again, rinse, repeat. More uh, making sure over-leveraged real estate developers don't call financial crisis by giving them more leverage is basically what they're saying. Uh, relevant authorities actively introduce market-friendly policies and prudently introduce policies with a uh, contractionary effect, support not hinder, and quote, authorities should timely respond to issues that draw attention from the market uh, yeah, don't screw it up. I agree with that. Uh, specific to internet companies, especially the bigger companies, which are referred to as the platform economy. Quote, as for the platform economy, relevant depart, uh, departs should improve the established plans to govern the sector. They should steadily advance and complete their re rectification work on large platform companies as soon as possible through standard, transparent, and predictable regulation. Internet regulation shouldn't be done in an ad hoc whack-a-mole approach. It should be finished as soon as possible. Uh, both red lights and green lights should promote the steady and healthy development of platform economy and improve its international competitiveness. Regula regulation should support the companies rather than hinder them. Interesting to note the inclusion of internet companies to go, quote, international. And that's very good news. And, um, and that's that. So, so those are some highlights. You've read a lot of this. China promises more stimulus to reverse the economic slowdown. Uh, the growth target is 5.5%. We're going to see fiscal. We're going to see monetary. We're going to see them buying their own stocks, forcing their insurance companies and banks to buy internet companies that they drove into the gutter. But by the way, who are they buying it from? They're buying it from the U.S. retail investors that threw them in the gutter. I mean, these, these guys, they're not idiots. They know exactly what they did. And by the way, historically, <laughs> they have a tendency to make these announcements after they break all technical support. 
they 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 do understand technical analysis and where stop losses are. So maybe all you wondering about stop losses and algos, maybe they're coming out of China uh, because they just took a ton of Americans out of stock with ADRs. Uh, and I'm sure that um, uh, they, they, they bought them ha hand over fist. Uh, okay, China retail sales and industrial data soundly beat expectations. Um, retail sales grew by 6.7% year on year compared to Reuters uh, consensus expectations of 3%. No one's expecting that in the zero COVID environment. Uh, and and that's, that's a lagged effect. We're coming on month five of that stimulus. I've been saying it over and over like a broken record and now it's happening. Uh, and those of you who are with me in 2020, remember the same thing, I was a broken record and then all of a sudden it just moves overnight. So Z spurs frantic stock buying with Lifeline for China market. Uh, gauge of China, Hong Kong, uh, China equities in Hong Kong surges the most since 2008. The Hang Seng is weighted with uh, uh, heavy, uh, the big China tech names. Uh, top officials value ensure stability in coordinated moves. Um, China shares fell to levels last seen in 2008. Uh, so you're buying you're basically buying Chinese stocks in a Great Depression level. So, you know, if you don't like buying stocks during a Great Depression and getting rich, like everyone you read the books about, then this is not for you. But if you're interested in once in a lifetime or twice in a lifetime or, you know, twice in a career opportunities, uh, then this may be worth looking at. That's all I can, that's all I can say about that. Uh, not investment advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com, click on terms, do your own homework, talk to your financial advisor, uh, call in a great lawyer to, you know, give you his opinion for $800 if you should buy the stock or not. But at the end of the day, these things don't come around that often. That's all I'm saying. Uh, China reported a drop in new coronavirus cases as authorities work to contain the outbreaks. That's positive. They had a spike up because they have no immunity because they've been doing zero COVID um, and, you know, the residual from the Olympics, etc. cetera. Uh, Xi Jinping's stock market put is alive and well. Zero Hedge goes into uh, how uh, anytime Liu has spoken, this uh, economic chief has spoken about stabilizing capital markets, particularly in the crackdown of 2018. Uh, the average return has been 19% in the following six, six months for the uh, MSCI, uh, CSI 300. It's probably similar to MS, uh, MSCI China. So in other words, he follows through with his actions on balance. Um, okay, moving on. China f finds a way to do zero COVID while keeping the factories open. Uh, that was really surprise and really good news. So they're keeping things humming for iPhone and Foxconn, um, even though they shut down for a few COVID cases. China's elevated COVID cases may not hit the economy as hard as feared. Uh, first off, uh, the numbers came down, I think, overnight. And uh, they are, they're doing workarounds and they're starting to show that, uh, you know, obviously an openness to the Pfizer pill, they're, they're not going to be zero COVID for a lot longer. That, that's, that's my read. Once they have the pill, I think that'll be game over. China's tech surge. Regulator chimes in with market-friendly uh, policies to cheer beleaguered stock investors. China will encourage publicly traded companies to buy back their shares and money managers to invest in their own funds. The government will continue to widen access to capital market and maintain Hong Kong's market stability through stronger cross-border collaboration, said the C 
SRC. So they're going to mandate Alibaba use that $7 billion of unused buyback authorization to buy back their stocks and do it before the national, uh, the uh, China National Congress in November. So Xi can uh, have an orderly transition into his uh, lifelong post. Uh, and that's the name of the game. And what I was saying about the technical, look at this. This is the Hang Seng index value and look they, they they broke the trend line this is the you know every time this guy speaks it's like right after they break the trend line take out all the foreigners and then they just ramp the thing right back up and that's exactly what we're having now so god bless uh, uh rich c and and god bless these these chinese that uh, study their technical analysis and shake everyone out and gave us one last bite at the apple this week all right, Credit Suisse turns overweight on stocks, favors U.S. and China. Oh, wow. After BABA goes up 37, 35 or 37% in one day, now they go overweight China. That's, by the way, it's still a great call here. Um, so 2008, like cheap, the Golden Dragon China Index is trading at a rare discount to the S&P 500, going all the way back to what? 2008 Great Financial Crisis Levels. Uh, Again, how many times in a lifetime do you get to buy at Great Depression levels? Right now. Um, there was also a guy, ah, I didn't save it. It was this, he, he showed like, there were only like two other times in history where a group had fallen like 80%. He was talking about the NASDAQ and he was talking about the Great Depression and like the amount of money made buying that. And uh, yeah, so anyway, that's that. So opinion follows trend. Now, now, People are going to be skeptical. They're all going to wait for the next leg down. Um, that's probably never going to come, by the way. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't think they're going to let people in from here. And, um, uh, and then probably around 150, analysts will start to go from downgrades to upgrades. Around 200, they'll start to go to neutral. And then back, you know, when you get Alibaba in the mid-200s, everyone will start to go overweight, overweight, overweight. And, um, and that, it's just the way it happens. It's human nature. Now, this is very interesting. China plans audit concession, they're blinking, in the face of U.S. delisting threat. So they're going to basically come through and say, we'll show you our books. Just keep the capital markets open, which is what I've been saying all along. If they, if they get closed to the, to the U.S. capital markets and the depth, and I think they figured that out in Hong Kong, there's not the liquidity. Uh, they're toast. And um, uh, from a geopolitical standpoint, that would be the greatest thing they could ever do for America. But from a self-interest thing, what they, the actions they were taking in 2021 were the dumbest things you could ever do to yourself, self-inflicted wounds, uh, but it created the opportunity for us. So uh, they figured out, you know, it's okay to make a mistake. You just got to um, correct it. Now, by the way, <laughs> one thing I wanted to say about that analyst uh, that, that took the price target down to $65 in the hole <laughs> There's an old saying, Wall Street is the only place where people who pull up in Rolls Royces uh, get advice from people who take the subway. And I think that that nips it in a bud. You know, uh, wealthy people who actually create something, uh, taking seriously the ideas of some kid with a CFA five years out of school who thinks they know something about what's going on. And, um, you know, you can actually... There, look, there are plenty of, look, you've got Marco Kalanovic, you've got um, Tom Lee, you've got these guys, they've got a few gray hairs, they've been through it, they know a lot, they're worth listening to. And, you know, Jim Paulson, 
you'll find a handful of people that are worth listening to that know their stuff. Um, but some, some others, you could actually don't be upset when they make these calls. Just look back at their history and say, can I use this person as a contraindicator? So when they say X, do Y and make a fortune, and there are a number of people out there on TV and otherwise that you can use as reliable contraindicators uh, and make a tremendous amount of money. So you just have to sort through it. There was a, a range resources analyst who turned out to be a brilliant contraindicator. Unfortunately, I don't think he has a job anymore. Otherwise, I'd be using him. Uh, that, that would be the guy to follow if you wanted to short the XOP for a Ben first name only. Uh, but I don't think he has a job anymore, unfortunately. So, uh, okay, Biogen stock gains after sharing uh, longer term data for its Alzheimer's disease drug. You know, this is a ch stock that's cheap as hell. It's in the gutter because they keep putting out data. The stock spikes up. Then the data is not good. Everyone says, no, it doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. All these armchair quarterbacks that have never read a biology book know that it doesn't work. But the FDA kind of approved it, and then they didn't. Uh, I think that's a good proxy for biotech, which is recovering now. Uh, keep your eye on that one. But that was a positive development that got missed in all the noise. Uh, Boeing's, this is another one that got missed in all the noise. Jeffrey's analyst, Sheila Kai. Yaglu reiterated a buy rating with the $270 price target on Boeing, uh, noting that China's first China delivery may already be in the air. Maybe we could get a breakthrough with the uh, G phone call tomorrow and let them take some planes. That would be a good thing. Um, okay, this is what kind of initially spooked the, the market yesterday on the dot plot. Uh, the Fed took their GDP projections down from 4% to 2.8% this year. And uh, by the way, that is what we expected, which is why we're saying, well, the data says cyclicals do well up to the first rate hike. Tech does better after the first rate hike. Tech also does better in a slowing growth environment. When GDP was going up from negative to plus six, we were all in on cyclicals. Now that the, it's slightly decelerating, we are shifting gears and taking advantage of what everyone has sold off. They took their uh, inflation expectations up. But the thing that spooked everything was the dot plot. So uh, here you've got the majority now at seven hikes for this year. A lot of that's priced in. I don't think they're going to get to seven because uh, he signaled that in May, as early as May, they could start with the balance sheet. And I think once they do the balance sheet and they come out of the market as a buyer, which, the, uh, um, which ended this month, March, they're no longer going to be buying bonds. Um, that will keep the 10-year yield somewhat elevated. It's not going to blow out like people think when the Fed exits the market. It's going to go to 350. It's not because there's going to be massive foreign demand. There's a carry trade you can borrow for negative rates in Japan, buy a 10-year yield above 2%, and mint money all day long, and people are going to be doing that carry trade. So the demand is still going to be huge, but it should tick up a little bit. Uh, and that will enable them, they can drain liquidity uh, and, and slow growth a bit while, uh, and then um, as the inflation numbers come in, uh, go more moderately on the, on the hikes, I think is really what's going to happen uh, if they do it correctly. So, um, so you saw the yield curve collapse and then start to tick up. I think the market is starting to figure out, even with that 63% probability that they assigned after the announcement of seven hikes, uh, starting to say it's unlikely that they can get to seven. Four or five is more, more realistic. Uh, article of the week, home sweet home. 
stock market and sentiment results. In 1985, I was a a huge Motley Crue fan. I had the posters on my wall. I think Tommy Lee is why I became a drummer in fifth grade. Uh, And uh, Motley Crue released one of its major all-time highs, Home Sweet Home. And last night when I was thinking about the journey of Alibaba over the last few months, this song came to mind. The journey has had a few detours, to put it mildly, but now it's finally on its way back home to intrinsic value, uh, which we view, you know, in the... uh, high 200s, you know, 280, 300. We haven't wavered on that because the, the business hasn't wavered on that. They, they kept their guidance. They're going to grow revenues and um, earnings by 30% over the next two years combined. Uh, as of earlier this week, you could buy it at six times earnings when you backed out the cash and the short-term investments, which is why we stepped in after we got those emails and we said, we got to have one more bite at this. Like if we're not buying during acute panic, then what are we doing here? And we, we did. And, um, and that was that. So uh, seeing Alibaba jump 35% in one day is evidence that the objective business slash fundamental analysis was always accurate. It was simply a mer- mercurial government leadership holding the stock back. Why do we know that? Because once they step back, the stock rocketed and that's going to continue. With the government now stepping out of the way and letting business flourish once again, we expect this marvelous business to work its way back up to intrinsic value over time. We may hit a few more potholes and speed bumps, but we're on our way. Um, So, yeah, I love this song. Uh, I was invited on Yahoo Finance yesterday afternoon to discuss developments. Thanks to Rochelle Acufo and Taylor Clothier for having me on. So here's a caption they took out of the interview. Both China, both in China and in the U.S., the number one job of a politician is to get reelected. Great Hill Ch- uh, Capital Chairman Thomas Hayes says, adding, quote, I think you're going to see these Chinese stocks rip for the next eight to 12 months into the China National Congress. We said that it was a sea change, and, and uh, I'll go through some of the highlights, but this is well worth listening to, especially if you have an interest in Baba. Uh, it's six minutes, and uh, Rochelle's great. I used to do interviews with her back on CGTN, so now she's at Yahoo Finance. Uh, and that's terrific. Uh, she, she does great work. And um, so, um, okay, so I said, you know, the, the announcements overnight were a sea change. The underlying China tech business, which has been hit hardest, are still growing despite an historic regulatory crackdown that began last year. Only two things held them back. One was the government regulatory crackdown. Two was the delisting risk. Both were addressed overnight by Vice Premier Liu He. When he said, quote, actively introduce policies that benefit markets, he offered investors reassurance that a sweeping crackdown on the Internet companies was nearing its end. China's banking regulator said after the meeting that he would, it would support insurance companies to increase investment in the stock market. So they're going to come out of bonds, they're going to buy their stocks, and if they're buying any China, guess which are the biggest weights? Alibaba, JD, and Tencent. Uh, the Financial Stability and Development Committee meeting concluded there's a need to boost the economy urgently before November. I, I had an uh, uh, editorial license on before November uh, in the first quarter and promised investors relief on several regulatory fronts. Monetary policy will pro- be proactive in this quarter and new loans will grow appropriately. Working with the SEC to resolve the Holding Foreign Company Accountable Act and continue listings on U.S. exchanges. Uh, so Alibaba, I went through the example of, um, you know, it traded six times. It's going to grow over the next two years. You can buy it at, at backing out the cash and investments. You could buy it at a third of the S&P 500 multiple with three times the growth. Uh, and then I went through the Microsoft example where they grew the business for seven years. The stock did nothing. Then they were up 1,500%. Well, Alibaba's grew the business five or six times as much as Microsoft did. The stock, you can buy it at 2014 levels. And I think it's going to be 
uh, just phenomenal over the next 12 to 24 months. Um, okay, the story of Job we covered last week. Remember I said this in the middle of the, in the, middle of the storm, I said uh, it brings to mind the story of Job, who, who, you know, holders of Baba, whose faith was tested. During this test, Job lost his 10 children, his wealth, and his health. Through the turmoil, he kept his faith and was ultimately rewarded. The story ends with Job receiving his wealth back, not just restored, but several fold, as we're going to get with Baba, having another 10 children and living for another 140 years. Uh, I wish I could take that trade. Uh, we believe that patient and faithful shareholders of Baba who understand the long-term intrinsic value of the underlying business will likewise be restored and multiply their wealth several fold in coming years. We went through the rebounds when, you know, the Hang Seng is traded below book value historically. What happens in the next one to two years, rip-roaring rallies. Alibaba always does more than double the market since it's been public. Then I went on to, uh, uh, and China Tech has been the least loved sector globally for months. That's about to change. The last shall be first. As always, opinion follows trend. No one wanted Baba at $75. Everyone will want it again at 250 Mark my words. Earlier in the afternoon, I joined uh, Liz Clayman on Fox Business, the Clayman Countdown. Uh, again, thanks to Liz and Ellie, Ellie Terrett for having me on. And um, I put my show notes in here, but um, it kind of went um, impromptu, and we wound up giving a couple ideas. Um, what we pointed to was, you know, there's a common view we're moving in a rising rate environment by cyclicals, but the market's already priced in six or seven hikes. So um, the cyclical trade is largely in the rearview mirror. I think banks could rebound here a little bit, but you've taken the middle out of it. Let's look at what's where there's huge opportunity. And if you look at the six months after the first hike, uh, tech and REITs are the top two performers for the last four rate hike cycles. Um, I talked about the um, Fed being data dependent, less rates than expected, using the yield, using the balance sheet versus hikes. Um, I talked a little bit about inflation. We've covered that. I talked about the sentiment washout, how I've been saying the risk in the market was to the upside, not the downside since I was last on. We held the February 24th lows. Now we're starting to move higher. Uh, We talked about revenge travel. And the three ideas we went into was Disney. You could buy it at 32% off its uh, 52-week highs. It's going to grow earnings 29% next year. You're going to have the revenge travel. We heard from Target in their earnings call. Top sellers were suitcases and bathing suits. Uh, People are going to be traveling like crazy this summer. Their top destinations after two years of no travel for many people will be Disney with the kids who've been watching Disney for two years uh, all day long. Disney Plus added uh, almost 12 million subscribers last quarter, 130 million. You add Hulu and ESPN, they got 200 million streaming subscribers on top of uh, basically a monopolistic um, parks business, which is, you know, the best in the world for everyone. And, uh, and you've got a great business. Oh, and by the way, they're going to double those earnings over the next four to five years. So we like that. And, um, and that we, we were kind of um, building on what Liz had said on her show Friday, which we watch every day, which she said, stay positive on good U.S. businesses, even if they're going through bad times. And uh, what could be more American than Disney? Then she asked me, well, where else do you see? I said, well, where else I see is uh, some of these beaten down value tech, you know, with uh, Facebook has been crushed or trading at uh, 15 times forward. We think that's an opportunity. Intel is value tech. We think that's been crushed. That's a huge opportunity. If you look out three years with the recovery plan, that'll probably be a double from these levels. So, uh, so there's, there's a lot of things to do. <laughs> so um, then we, uh, 
I mentioned here the Pitchboard um, podcast. Uh, this was the most detailed and thorough interview I've ever participated in. Andrew drilled into my investment process and how I value businesses and adjusted data. If you ever wanted a clear look under the hood, this is it. Have a listen. You'll be glad you did. Uh, this was a special one. This one, uh, this is the longer one, 45 minutes. And then there's the other one uh, that I'll, I got to include in this as well. I'll, I'll stick it in here um, from Harvest, but you can find that on the website under Featured On. Anyway, uh, sentiment, Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. If you're on the podcast, you're getting cut off in nine seconds, go to hedgefundtips.com, pull up the YouTube video, go to minute 60, you'll pick up exactly where you left off uh, for the last 10 minutes.